God, you're you're the father to the fatherless, and I also think in some way, God, you're the the mother to the motherless, God. That's such a gift. And you are so good that you love us. We don't even have to do anything. Thank you for your love, God. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for being with us. Amen. Hey, who wrote that song, Michael? It's a band somewhere. Yeah. yeah. In Michael the Denver wrote area. That. Michael wrote that song. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, I forgot to mention this. Um, Andrew's not quite sure what's in his future. We're not quite sure what this means for the church either. We have a board meeting next week. Um, we've done some interim things, so stuff uh, keeps going. Um, so you don't need to worry about that. But you can pray for us as we walk into the future and figure out, well, do we try to find another person in that position or change the structure or, or, or what? Um, so there, there, are some, there are some questions. And so I thought this morning it would be good to preach a sermon on, on courage. Maybe we all need courage. And, you know, there's a story about courage right after the story that we preached on last week, so it works out well. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would uh, speak your word to us. And, Lord God, I thank you that your word isn't a dead word. Your word is a living word. And so, word of God, come and have courage in us, we pray. Help us to preach in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a young man, I was discipled really by uh, three older men, three and yet one in the the way of, of courage. You know, a disciple is one who follows, and I actually have video footage of my discipleship training. All right, let's watch.
Yeah, my mentors. After watching Arnold, I would just work out so hard. I mean, this one time, like, all the blood vessels were in my eyes pop from working out so hard. And after I'd watch Clint, I would seriously walk around just going like this, looking at everybody squinting, you know, hoping to get those cool crow's, eye, crow's feet around my eye. I got them now. I finally got them. <laughs> and uh, after watching Roger Moore, I mean, Gosh, I would go off jumps that I shouldn't have gone off, and that's how I learned to ski, following a friend that skied like that. And no one told me that I had to follow these guys. I wanted to follow them because they were glorious. And it wasn't just muscles, crow's feet, and ski jumps. It was something else. It was courage. But, of course, we called it cool. They, they were cool. Wherever those guys went, it was like a, a storm on the outside and absolute calm on the inside. and In fact, it was even as if the calm on the inside sometimes caused the storm on the outside. They had courage. In the movies, it appeared to be due to the fact that they had faith in their abilities. But in reality, it was due to the fact that Arnold Clint and Roger Moore knew that they were actors in a movie and stars of that movie and so they knew there had to be a storm or there'd be no story. And they knew there had to be a struggle or there'd be no glory. And everything worked to reveal their glory, for that was the story, because in fact, they were the plot. They had faith in the author of their story. And so they had great courage, and so I wanted to follow at least to the movie theater, because actual cyborgs from the future and Soviet spies and gunslingers might be a bit too much, but I wanted to follow. I was a disciple, and yet I was also a disciple of Jesus. And Jesus is meek and mild, gentle and lowly in heart, and so Jesus is safe, right? And these guys were unsafe. And I had the impression that Christianity was all about safety then. Safety and family values, right? So Jesus came to build safe homes and strong family values. Make sense? So if you follow Jesus, the prince of, of peace, everything becomes peaceful, right? Your business thrives, your family likes you, and God always provides you with a place to lay your head. And now our text. Matthew chapter 8, verse 18, right after our text from last week where Jesus heals everybody. I mean, it looks like it's going to be smooth sailing from here on out. Matthew 8, verse 18, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders. He ordered them. He ordered them to go to the other side. And a scribe came up to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples uh, said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. I mean, that's, geez, my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Well, that's some rather aggressive, meek and mild, don't, don't you think? I mean, the guy said, Jesus, I want to follow, but let me first go bury my father. Jesus, I, I need to focus on, on the family. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. I mean, can you imagine Jesus being interviewed on Christian radio? 
So, Jesus, tell us about your, tell us about your home and your family life. I have no home. Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Unless you hate your father and your mother and hate your life. Unless you hate your life, you cannot follow me. Oh, it's Mother's Day, isn't it? So it's important to understand Jesus loved his mother. And he tells us to love everybody. But if we think following him is a means to a storm-free life and smooth sailing, well, we're just a bit deluded. Next verse, verse 23. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. That's what disciples do. They, they follow. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea. The Greek word translated storm here is the word seismos. It's where we get um, the words like seismograph or seismology. Everywhere else in scripture it's translated earthquake. There are words for storm in Greek, two or three others that Matthew could have used, but he seems to use seismos on purpose as if he's uh, wanting us to take note um, and he's going to give meaning to it later on in his gospel. He wants us to make some sort of connection. Next verse. And behold, there arose a great seismos on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? He asked this, he asked this question while the storm is raging, while the seismos is raging, while they still think that they're perishing. And he has been asleep. I mean, talk about storm on the outside and calm on the inside. Even if I'm calm on the outside, there's usually a storm on the inside. So even with earplugs and sleeping pills, I have a hard time going to sleep. Next verse. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? Why are you afraid? I mean, it seems so absurd that he would ask that question in that situation and, and, and that he even asked that question now. And I, I think he wants us to at least try to answer. What, what are you afraid of? <laughs> storms? Chaos? Yeah, that's what it is. Uh, are you afraid of storms? You know, I think Jesus really believed that God was writing his story and that he was absolutely essential to the plot. In fact, he was the star of the movie. In fact, more than just essential to the plot, he was the plot. He is the plot, the logos, the meaning. He is the word through whom all things are created. He's the rock that the sea must crash upon. So this is a little bit wild to think about, but there's no place safer than in the boat with him. I mean, it's ironic that although it seemed far safer to stay at home in Capernaum with the family, the safest place in all creation that day was in that boat, in the midst of that storm with Jesus. And one day the safest place in all creation may be on a cross in a storm with Jesus. Sometimes I, I watch Christian TV and I get just... I get so depressed. I, I really do. 
because I think to myself, maybe I'm not following Jesus. Because according to this guy, there's supposed to be no storms. But then I go read scripture and I realize, well, no, I should expect storms. Jesus, Jesus even sails me into storms on, on purpose. He said, in this world, you will have tribulation and leave it to us wealthy modern Christians to come up with the idea that we'll be like taken out of here, raptured out of here before tribulation. He said, you will have tribulation. So Jesus, yeah, he calms the storm, but only after he commands us to sail into the storm. 17th century mystic Madame Jean Guion wrote this. You must utterly believe that the circumstances of your life that is, every minute of your life, as well as the whole course of your life, anything, yes, everything that happens, uh, everything that happens have all come to you by his will and by his permission. You must utterly believe, that's called faith, you must utterly believe that everything that has happened to you is from God and is exactly what you need. You must believe. If you don't believe, I mean, it might be calm on the outside, but like a raging storm on the inside. You know, I think each of those disciples was terribly afraid long before they left Capernaum. Afraid on the inside, long before the storm exposed their fear. The storm exposed their fear on, on the outside. Well, anyway, don't be afraid of storms. So what are you afraid of? Maybe you're afraid of death, death by storm, uh, losing control in a storm. And this really is ironic, if, if you think about it, that we're so terrified of death when, according to Scripture, God is like constantly arranging our death. 2 Corinthians 4.11. While we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. See, maybe God arranges all of the storms to help us die so that we could live, so that we could, like, lose our lives and find them. G.K. Chesterton wrote this. Courage is almost a contradiction in terms. It means a strong desire to live, taking the form of a readiness to die. And Jesus said, if you lose your life, psyche in Greek, also translated soul, psyche, if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. If you die with him, you rise with him. Maybe storms are like supposed to well, like drown us. And if you think about it, isn't that what baptism is? That's what it symbolizes, that we die with Christ and we rise with Christ. We die so we can live. You know, every time you fail, every time you're criticized, every time you're humiliated, but you do not retaliate, you die a little. That is, your flesh dies a little. Your mortal flesh is your faith in yourself, your psyche. Your true self is faith in God. That's Jesus' psyche. My psyche is my prison that keeps me from living life, real life. And so maybe I ought to thank God for the storms he puts in my life because they break my faith in, in me. 
For to the degree I, I, I die to me, I, I can begin to live. And we're all dying. A short time before my father died, my nephew Jared, who was a, a little boy at the time, he called my dad and he said, Hey, Poppy, could I come over to your house for ice cream one more time before you die? And without skipping a beat, my dad said, Oh, of course, Jared. And so he did, and they had ice cream. You see, he didn't let fear spoil the ice cream. And Jesus did not let fear spoil his nap. I hope you realize that we're all dying. But don't let fear, fear of death, spoil the ice cream. Don't let fear of death spoil your nap. Don't let fear of failure keep you from living or keep you from trying. And, and just because you know that you'll fail, because that's what scripture says, we're all dying. We're all coming to terms with our own death. Just because you know that you'll fail, don't stop trying to succeed. For actually, you cannot fail unless you try to succeed. You, you cannot die unless you try to live. You cannot lose yourself if you refuse to surrender yourself and follow Jesus into that storm. If you're so afraid of storms that you never get in the boat with Jesus, then you'll never die to yourself, but in fact are a prisoner of yourself, trapped by your own fear. Maybe calm on the outside, but a raging storm of anxiety on the inside. Scripture says that the devil keeps us in lifelong bondage through the fear of death. So, so, so listen closely. Jesus sails us out of the storm by sailing us into the storm. But the devil tries to trap the storm in us through fear. So why are you afraid? Because you're all afraid, right? So ask yourself that question. Why are you afraid? Maybe storms? Maybe you're afraid of death by storm. Maybe you're afraid of the devil. You know, in the Jewish uh, cosmology of Jesus' day, the sea was the realm of chaos, demons, and hell. In fact, in the next verse, Jesus meets the Gadarene demoniac. Remember that? Two of them in Matthew. He, he casts the demons out of them into a herd of pigs, and the herd of pigs runs into the sea because they believe that the sea was the home of the demons, the, the devil. I think Scripture's implying that the presence of Jesus on that sea stirred up a storm in hell. The presence of the Prince of Peace was violence to the dominion of the devil. The humility of Jesus, meek and mild, burned the arrogance that is hell. So wherever you sail with Jesus in this world, you can expect a storm, a violent reaction Jesus didn't promise peace and prosperity in this age, no, no matter what people say. He didn't promise peace and prosperity in this age. He promised tribulation, persecution, and a cross. He predicted a storm in this world, but peace in your heart. Like Paul, like Paul says, we, we battle. The problem with Schwarzenegger, Eastwood, and James Bond is, is not their courage, but that they're engaged in the wrong war with powerless weapons. We're engaged in a battle with the devil and the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We overcome with the blood of the lamb. 
and the word of our testimony. That is, we overcome with the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus, meek and mild. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and mild, gentle and lowly in heart. My yoke. The, the only yoke that I remember on Jesus is a cross. And it's with Jesus on his cross that we die to ourselves and live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, writes Paul. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We see the disciples, uh, the, the devil, the devil wants those disciples off the sea and back to burying the dead, safe in their homes, locked down in fear. But Jesus has ordered them to sail into this storm. Martin Luther said, even the devil is God's devil. Julian of Norwich explains, that's why he's so angry, why he's so furious all the time, because everything he does gets used by God for God's purposes. Remember uh, what Paul tells the Corinthians about that one guy, he, to deliver this guy up to Satan, he says it's for the destruction of the flesh, that he might be saved on the day of the Lord. And have you ever wondered about this? Didn't God the Father have God the Son somehow delivered up to the devil or by the devil on the cross for the destruction of our flesh? That we might be saved on, on the day of the Lord? You know, that, that's like some heavy, crazy stuff to think about. But, but for now, at least see this. It was the devil that was behind that storm. And yet... God predestined the storm, and Jesus sailed them right into that storm on purpose. Well, this much is, I think, very clear in Scripture, and that is that God has the devil on a leash. God does. Hey, so maybe you're afraid of God. You know, I remember the first time that I saw a demon cast out of a person. It was years ago, back in L.A. in seminary. And I remember that at the moment I knew it was God and it wasn't just acting. And I remember that I was filled all at once with this, with this terror. But not of the demon, of God. For all I once, I, I realized that all my supposed control of my world was just an illusion. In two chapters, Matthew 10, 28, Jesus tells him that there's only one to fear. And that's God. Romans 1, Paul tells us that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. And then he, he reveals to us that all ungodliness is faithlessness. It's our lack of faith. In Romans 2, Paul describes the wrath of God as God giving us up to our own evil. As if all he has to do is remove his hand and the storm rages. It's amazing how all of this can be true at once, but Satan hates the presence of God in the boat, and God hates the presence of ungodliness in us. Either way, God and ungodliness collide on the sea, and there's a storm. The storm rages, humanity is trapped in death, the devil reigns, and God's wrath burns, all because we are unfaithful. Jesus looks at his disciples in the storm on the sea and says, 
Why are you afraid? Oligopistoi. That means you little faiths. Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Well, well, that's it, isn't it? I mean, that's it, it exactly. That's what they're truly afraid of. I mean, they wouldn't, they wouldn't see it. They wouldn't admit it back in Capernaum, safe in their own homes, the dead burying their own dead. They wouldn't admit it back in Capernaum, but that is exactly what they're afraid of, their own little faith. That's what I'm afraid of. My lack of faith, my little, my little faith. We say you're saved by faith. That's what we say. You're saved by faith. Jesus clearly has faith, right? I mean, he, he has faith. Jesus has faith. He sleeps in storms. I don't even sleep well in my own bed. He, he tells the storm to stop, and it stops. I've tried that with storms, and it usually doesn't work. I mean, once kind of maybe on an evangelism trip, but it didn't work well. It doesn't seem to work. Jesus has faith, but I'm afraid that I don't have faith. Why am I afraid, Jesus? Honestly, I'm afraid that I don't have faith, and I can't fear my way to faith. I can't scare myself into faith. I can scare myself into a lot of things, but I can't scare myself into faith because my fear is a lack of faith. That's why I can't fear myself into faith. And Jesus, you're like walking, talking faith, and you reveal that I don't have faith, and we're saved by faith. Yeah! Yeah! Afraid. In Mark's version of the story, after Jesus calms the storm, Mark records that they were all filled, filled with great fear, looked at Jesus and said, who is this man? They were afraid of Jesus and his faith. Well, Jesus sails us into storms. Maybe it's to reveal our own lack of faith, but how do we get faith? Because you can't just fear your way into faith. Faith is trust in God. It's trust. Jesus has so much faith in his father, he sleeps like a baby in a raging storm. However, we do know of one night that Jesus did not sleep. And according to prophets like Isaiah and theologians like St. Paul, he was sailing into a storm. In fact, the storm, the storm of God's unmitigated wrath. He would be delivered up to the curse, to death, to the devil, and to our unfaithfulness. The wrath of God would fall upon him. At the Passover dinner that night, he had given us his life, and it's as if, if he, he took on himself our life, for in the garden he couldn't sleep. And his will even seemed opposed to God's will, for he prayed this. He prayed, if there's any way, Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will... But thy will be done. You see, I think he was already praying to God his Father from the prison of my own unfaithfulness and your own unfaithfulness. Well, he calmed the storm on the Sea of Galilee, but how do you calm the storm of God's wrath over the sin of Adam, over the sin of mankind? Matthew 12, Jesus says this. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. 
And now that I mention Jonah, think about Jonah. Doesn't that uh, story kind of remind you of this story of Jesus on, on the lake? You know, Jonah was a prophet that God commanded to preach to Nineveh. But Jonah did not trust God. He didn't trust God to damn the Ninevites. In other words, he, he didn't want God to save his enemies, the, the Ninevites. So he fled from the presence of God on a ship bound for the open sea. There's a great storm on the sea, but like Jesus, Jonah is asleep. The sailors wake him up and they beg him to pray that maybe his God might calm the storm. But how is Jonah to calm this storm? Jonah tells them that he's the cause of the storm and he convinces the sailors to throw him overboard. When he does, when they do, the storm stops. Jonah is swallowed by a great fish prowling the depths of the sea. The Ninevites worshipped Nina, the great fish goddess. Well, anyway, Jonah was in the belly of that beast for three days and three nights. Jonah 2.1. Jonah writes, out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. In the King James, it's out of the belly of hell, I cried. Even more literally, out of the womb of hell, I cried. Jonah descended into hell. That is Sheol, Hades, Solomon writes, there is no work, thought, knowledge, or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. <laughs> the psalmist writes, in Sheol, who will give you praise? There's no faith, only fear in Sheol. Jonah 2.6, I went down to the land whose bars closed on me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O oh Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you. But well, how did Jonah do that? How did Jonah get faith? Because that's what we're concerned about. How did Jonah get faith in the depths of the sea, in the belly of the beast? He ends his prayer with this line, Jonah 2.4. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to to the Lord. What is the payment that Jonah must pay? There's a payment that a person must pay. What's the payment? He must confess salvation belongs to the Lord. He cannot save himself. He is not his own savior. He cannot tell God whom he can save either, whom he can save or who he cannot save. Salvation is not his to hold on to. So if God wants to save Nineveh, God can save Nineveh. He confesses salvation belongs to the Lord. He entrusts salvation to God. Salvation in the Hebrew is pronounced Yeshua. Yeshua is also a name that means God is salvation. In English, we say Jesus. Jonah confesses Yeshuata la Yahweh. I probably said that wrong, Allison, but that's what I read in my book. In a word, you see, Jonah confesses Jesus, the substance of, of Jesus, and, and the beast cannot stomach the word. The beast vomits Jonah onto the dry land. Jonah preaches the word, and Nineveh is saved. He calms that storm called Nineveh. But how did Jonah get faith? How did Jonah get Jesus in the womb of Sheol? that we call hell. Well, Jesus said, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the womb of the Ketos, the sea monster, 
so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. At the cross, Jesus lifted his voice and cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? First line of Psalm 22. I think he kind of also said the last line of Psalm 22. For then he said, It is finished. And he breathed his last. He delivered up his spirit. And at that moment, Matthew records that there was a great seismos. As if we all took Jesus and threw him overboard into the depths of the sea. There was a great seismos, as if the rock of ages was dropped into the heart of the sea, as if the faithful one descended into the land of faithlessness, as if hell swallowed heaven and hell just could not stomach the meal. There was a great seismos. The rocks were split. According to Matthew, the tombs were opened. They were opened and some people came out. Or maybe they were vomited out. Hell couldn't stomach them anymore. Maybe one of them was Jonah. We don't understand time and eternity very well, but maybe one was Jonah in 750 B.C. We don't understand time and eternity very well, but we do understand that faith in Jonah must have been the spirit of Jesus in Jonah. Matthew records a seismos on Good Friday as Jesus dies, and, and he records a second seismos, a great seismos, on Easter morning as Jesus was raised and said to the women, Greetings! <laughs> no more fear! No more fear. Did you know that faith in us is the spirit of Jesus in us? That's how he calms the storm in us. And the storm throughout all creation. We're saved by faith. Yes, we're saved by faith. The faith of Jesus. Faith isn't a work you do. Faith is a work God does in you. Jesus is the eschatos, ultimate Adam. Jesus is the ultimate action hero. You know, I was discipled by Arnold Clint and James Bond. Because of them, I lifted weights, got crow's feet, went off ski jumps I shouldn't have gone off of, but it, was, it wasn't like a set of laws I had to obey. It wasn't like a workbook that I had to read or a program that I had to perform. No, God just provided the storms in my life. Then I go to the movies and, and watch these guys beat the devil, defy death, calm storms, and for a moment, I forgot about me. And I worshiped them. And at least a little, I was shaped in their image. I was discipled a little by Arnold and Clint, and James, but, but, but I hope to be discipled a lot by Jesus. And so God provides the storms in my life. And I come to church and I hear his story of how he calms the storm. I, I read his story in scripture. Even more, I've come to realize he's in my boat in the midst of my storm. And if I think I have to make myself in his image, if I think that I have to make myself faithful, I end up hating God. And I just want to stay back in Capernaum, locked down in fear, the dead burying the dead. But if in the storm I see that he is faithful, well, at least for a moment, I forget me. 
and I begin to worship him. I begin to lose my psyche and gain his psyche, his faith. I'm psyched out and he's psyched in. I lose my life and find it filled with him. So here's his question. Why are you afraid? Because you lack faith? Well, he's sailed you into your storm because you've got a storm, don't you? We've all got storms. He's sailed you into your storm so you'd see that you don't have faith. And he does have faith. And you are saved by his faith because he makes you faithful. That's what it is to be well. In two chapters, Matthew 10, 28, Jesus says something that at first is utterly terrifying and then profoundly liberating. He says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, the psyche, the life. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul, psyche, life, who can destroy your soul and body in hell. That's Gehenna. That's the place that Sheol, uh, Sheol hell is consumed by God's wrath. The place sin is consumed by eternal fire. The place my old psyche is consumed by God's psyche. A Christian is someone that surrenders his psyche to God in Christ Jesus at the cross before his body is consumed by the flames of Gehenna. Jesus says, fear him who can destroy both psyche and body in Gehenna. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Did you catch that? Fear God! And therefore, fear not. It's like God says, do not fear anything or anyone but me. Look at me. Fear me. Lock your eyes on me and fear only me. Look at me. Do you see me? Do you see that I care for you and I number every hair on your head? Do you see that I'm in your boat? Do you see that I descend into hell for the love of you? Do you see Jesus? Because if you see him, you see me. Fear only me, not storms, not death, not the devil, even your own lack of faith. Only, only fear me. Fear only me. And now, don't fear. That's faith. Hebrews 12, 2. Listen closely. He is the author and finisher of our faith. So why are you afraid? I'll tell you why you're afraid. It's because you've believed a lie that you are your own salvation. But this is the word of God. Yahweh is salvation. That means Jesus. So, what must I do? What must you do? What must I do? Nothing. You just heard the word of your father in the midst of your storm. And the word is living. When my son was like four years old, when the kids were little, Father's Day, I got a tent. So this is a Father's Day story. Sorry, it's Mother's Day, but I'm a father. So anyway, I got this yellow tent. And the kids were really jacked up about it. They were so excited. So I said, okay, we can spend the night in the tent in the backyard. So we set up the tent in the, in the backyard. 
We talked for a while and then tried to go to sleep. I have four kids. Coleman is the youngest. Coleman was just so excited, but the wind began to rustle the leaves. Then it began to bang on the back gate. And then the flaps began to flap on the tent uh, to, to this little storm. Like a little storm. Coleman, all at once, I remember he jumped up and he said, Dad, I'm just freaked out. I'm freaked out. And I said, okay, Coleman, well, go inside. You can, you can go inside. So he did. And then he changed his mind and he came back out and said, Daddy, I, I, want, I, want, to, I, want, to, I want to be with you. And I said, okay. And then the wind started to rattle the leaves and bang on the back gate and flap the flaps on, on the tent. And he jumped up and he said, I'm freaked out. And I said, okay, you can go inside. Go inside with, with Mom. And and after a while, he came back out. This went on for quite a time, while, long while. In, out, in, out, in, out. You know, faith starts as a seed, and it grows. In other words, it's a process. If you have faith, present tense, Jesus said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say, future tense, to this mountain move, and it will move. You see, if you've got a little bit of faith, it will, it will grow. Well, anyway, Coleman uh, when he was inside, uh, he was just miserable, and yet outside, he was terrified. But outside in the storm, this was the best part. I remember he'd snuggle up close to me, and he'd put his like nose right against my nose. I remember his eyes would just be wide open. It was like he was looking at me and sucking all the courage out of me and into himself, all that he could get. And, and I remember realizing at one point, I'm, I'm the cause of his fear because I'm outside. I'm the cause of his fear, and I'm also the source of his faith. The fear will pass, but faith is eternal. He said, Dad, I remember finally one time he said, Dad, I'm freaked out, or so, something like that. And, and, I, and I said something like this, not as eloquent at this, but this is what I meant. This is what, what, what I said. I said, Coleman, listen to me. Look at me. I'm the Lord of the backyard. I'm sovereign over the backyard. Coleman, do not fear the wind rustling the leaves. Do not fear the banging on the back gate. Do not fear the flaps on the tent. There's only one that you should fear, Coleman, and that's me. Now give me a kiss and go to sleep. Jesus only said, Jesus said, there's only one to fear. And if you've seen me, you've seen him. And then he took the bread and broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat and do it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper and having given thanks, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. You see, this is the kiss of the Father in the midst of your storm. And so he calls you to come to the table, tear off a piece of bread, dip it in the cup. The light cups are juice. The dark cups are wine. Ingest his word. Ingest the Prince of Peace and worship him. In Jesus' name, amen.
So why are you afraid? You're a little faith. A legopistoi. Uh, that's not a, that, that, that sounds like bad news, but it's actually really good news. Because it means that you have a little faith. You have a little faith which, which you recognize that you need more faith. But now here's the really, really good news. That, that little faith is a seed. And the seed is eternal. And the seed will grow. Jesus said it will grow into a kingdom. And so uh, one day you'll walk on the water. One day you'll say to a mountain, move, and, and you'll, you'll like see it move. And you'll realize that that thing in you is more real than the entire creation, for it's the very spirit of Jesus. And you know, Peter, uh, that was probably Peter's boat that they were in, Peter and Andrew, Peter and his brother Andrew, or James and John. And Jesus got in the boat with them, took them out for that little adventure that day. Later on in the story, Peter walks on the water. And you remember, he walks on the water by looking at Jesus and not by looking at the wind and the waves. At the end of his life, he's crucified with Jesus, and the world has never been the same. Coleman uh, finally went inside and spent the night with Mom. He, he failed the night with the yellow tent. But we went camping again, and we went camping again, went camping again, and, and now Coleman is my child of the four that, that I'm most scared about because it seems like he has no fear whatsoever. But what I'm saying is that uh, that little faith will grow. And so keep looking at Jesus and have courage. Receive the kiss of your father in the midst of the storm, and you'll be walking on the sea. In Jesus' name. Believe the gospel. Amen.